0: Welcome to the Nopalera podcast, a place where I share the journey of building my company from the ground up, as well as the stories of others in our community. I am your host, Sandra Velasquez, founder of Nopalera, a culture-forward brand that celebrates and elevates culture. Aside from making great products, we are cultural storytellers with a mission to inspire our community to stand in their worth. In this podcast, you will hear a mix of solo and guest episodes around the entrepreneurial realities of building a company. I launched Nopalera for my Brooklyn apartment with no outside funding while working three jobs, raising my child in the middle of the pandemic at the age of 44. Thank you for joining me on this journey. I hope it inspires you to live boldly. Jen Harper is the founder and CEO of Cheekbone Beauty, a digitally native direct-to-consumer brand that is helping indigenous youth see themselves in a beauty brand while using the concept of life cycle thinking in the brand's ethos and in developing products, creating a new segment in the beauty industry, Sustainable Socially Conscious Beauty. Jen has been making a name for herself in the industry for a number of years and has been gaining popularity quickly after being on the hit CBC show, Dragon's Den, which is like the Canadian shark tank. Cheekbone Beauty's mission is to help every Indigenous youth see and feel their enormous value in the world while creating sustainable cosmetics. I met Jen Harper through the Credo for Change cohort in 2021, and she is just such a badass, such a gem. I'm so excited to dive into this conversation. Let's get started. Jen, welcome to the podcast. I am so happy to see you and to be able to talk to you today. Thank you for being here.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I've been really looking forward to this and having a conversation with you. I'm always inspired when you're around and having any engagement with you uh, is a huge treat. So thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Oh, I want to start, Jen, with something that really struck me when we were in the Credo for Change program. I don't know who it was. Someone said well, I'm not a beauty insider. You know, we all had that kind of like outsider feeling. And you just came on and dropped the mic and you said, I used to sell fish. <laughs> and it just stuck with me. Like, yes, okay, mic drop. Okay, no one has any complaints because this is what Jen used to do before she was running her beauty empire. So can you just take me back to the Jen that used to sell fish? And is there a bridge? Like, what did you, what skills did you acquire in that that you have carried over if any.
1: Yeah, so a ton. I mean, cold call, warm call, whatever kind mm. of selling really prepares you for entrepreneurship because you get rejected a ton and so I definitely yes. gained the thick skin being in sales because you just you're constantly hearing no and you have to learn to reframe things. Like I've realized some of my biggest clients when I left selling fish were originally no's, right? And so that really encourages me to not give up on any sort of big dream clients we might have right now as at Chief Own Beauty. Even if they say no, it just means maybe not right now or not yet. Right. So yes. that yes. is critically helpful. And I think I know I'm allowed to get real and raw with you. The gen yes. that was selling seafood was really sick. I was battling alcoholism and had been mm-hmm. for many, many years. It wasn't until 2014 that I got sober, and my story and in entry into the beauty industry is really different because I get sober, and then I have, like, one of those dreams. I always preface this. It wasn't a vision because I know uh, everyone thinks I'm Native American and Native <laughs> Indigenous. They assume it's, like, this vision, and I'm like, no, this was, like, laying in bed. You're like, I was asleep. Yeah, I <laughs> All I remember from the dream, honestly, is these three native little girls. They're covered in lip gloss. And I remember their joy and laughter. And when I grabbed my laptop that night, it seemed so real to me. It was like, okay, this is simple. I'm going to figure out how to make this lip gloss was the, what was in, in the dream. These They were just covered in it. And I wanted to, in a sense, now I get it, looking back, was recreate this joy among our kids and our youth. And so Mm. for many of us across North America, if you grew up First Nations or as a first person, we're put on reservations, we're, we're really segregated or segmented away from society to the point where many people don't even think our culture still exists, but it is thriving, it is alive, and it is well. And despite the trauma our people have faced, First and foremost, I think the brand that cheekbone wanted to create was this idea about changing a narrative. Like, look at this new story look at how resilient we are as a people and look what we can do. And I'm really proud that that's part of what our brand gets to do. But certainly, you know, I didn't enter this industry or this space without tons of trauma in my personal life. And then even you think about um, how I grew up. I didn't grow up with like this residual wealth. No one was throwing money at me and trying to figure out how to build a business. But I came to the space with a huge amount of work ethic because in my selling fish job, I busted my butt. Like I built a multi-million dollar territory and all from ground zero. And I thought if I could work, and I hate to say this, The two gentlemen that I was working for had built a company that was doing about $150 million a year. And I thought, if these two guys can build a business, why can't I? Right. So uh, as much as, you know, they're great guys, but it's just realizing nobody's perfect in entrepreneurship. Like it's a process. And so learning that it is possible for us to make things.
0: I love that so much. I also have a background in sales, and it definitely prepared me for all the same reasons that you just expressed. I was like, I cut my teeth in the trenches of New York grocery where it is just brutal. People are just talking about margins, like they just want free stuff. No one cares about your
1: story, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I'm just so curious what kind of fish were you selling? (laughs) <laughs> so any anything literally that comes out of the ocean or n- not even the ocean or lakes for that matter. D- I was focused, believe it or not, when I think about my brain now on sustainable options when it comes to seafood. So we hear about the depletion of fish in our oceans and lakes, and we're actually doing a ton of work in the aquaculture space. So fish farms in water are not turning out to be the best for our planet, but there's a whole front line of people working on land based fish farms, which was I was so attracted to and thought was so cool, because they're not compromising that ecosystem. They were making fish on land in these tanks. But our world is in this crisis where we're running out of food sources. And so I'm really fascinated by the sustainability missions of many brands. And when I left the seafood world is interesting to me that that's never left my interest.
0: Yeah, you just carried the thread over into your business now, right? The sustainability aspect. Yeah. I would love to dig in a little more about you were in a different place in your life. You had your own battles that you were facing personally. In order for you to become this new gen and follow this dream that you had, what did you have to let go of? Like specifically, did you have to change your friends? Like, did you have to move? Like what transformation had to happen in order for you to step into this new person that you are
1: now? Yeah, that is a great question. I literally call it a rebuild. I had to, like, if you think of a house, right, and tear everything down right to the foundation, to the studs, and start over. I did not love the person I was. Alcoholism made me angry and bitter and cold, and. I've always been attracted to warm, kind, compassionate people. And I just wanted to be one. But I realized looking back over my whole life, I was like, "Okay, it's not your fault. Right. Like when I learned about generational or transgenerational trauma, when these traumas are passed on from my grandparents experience in residential school to my father's experience growing up with alcoholic parents. It's like the story doesn't it just went on and I knew, okay, I needed a tear down and a complete rebuild. And it's a daily process. It's like, it doesn't end either, right? Some old traits sometimes creep back up and I'm fighting them. But I want to be the kind of person that people want to be around. And I wasn't that for much of my adult life because of the anger and bitterness. And I'm really grateful that I've had the opportunity at really a second chance. And What Cheekbone has done is, it's really interesting and fascinating when I think about it. It really replaced alcoholism. And I read a really powerful book during my recovery. It's called The Power of Habit by Dr. Charles Dewig. It goes into the science behind addiction. And it's really a neurological disease. Like my brain just reacted to alcohol. It needed alcohol. It used alcohol to feel better, to feel happy for all of the feelings. And to live life again, just feeling was really magical and powerful and overcoming something like alcoholism also made me so much more courageous and brave. Like, I can't even believe I'm in the place that I am now. When I used to think of the life that I was living, like it was awful. And in that book, he talks about you can't just say goodbye to alcohol. It has to be replaced with something or whatever your addiction is and using a business for that. As much as sometimes I still have to be very careful about balance because I can be unbalanced. I do have sort of that addict's brain where I get obsessed with things. So just being really more cognizant of spending time with my family when I know I should be and and all of those things. But at least building a business is a lot less damaging on my physical body, on my emotional body, on my spiritual body, all of those parts of my life. Like building a business has had a greater impact than the opposite was happening with alcohol, where it was destroying all of those parts of my life.
0: I love that. And so you have this dream, you realize this is what I need to do next, but you're a beauty outsider. So how do you go and find co-packers, manufacturers? Are you starting to make it yourself? Are you experimenting in your kitchen? How does this happen? Right? For me, that was a big barrier because I was a beauty outsider. I mean, I still am. Yeah. <laughs> I guess maybe I'm on the inside now, you know, just even finding suppliers, finding co-packers, finding, nobody. Talks you know, to us. People are like, oh, your email's personal.
1: Yeah. They're like, if you're not a big person, they don't care, right? Um, Yeah, that's a great question. And I know I'm allowed to get real and honest with you here. So um, it wasn't as once you get in and realize the world of white private label, it's not as challenging as one would think. Once you are connected with the right private or white labeler, it wasn't as hard. So And not to say it's not hard because building a brand that people are attracted to, that in itself is really, really hard. So I think the first life of Cheekbone Beauty was, okay, we're here because we want Indigenous representation. We want to support our community with portions of our profits. We want to create things that are better. But I really didn't get stuck on the creating the better part in the early days because I knew I was like one person. I'm like, focus on the brand. So we spent time and money building the brand, what that looks and feels like. Can you just elaborate on that, Jen? Because this is one of my favorite things
0: to talk about. Like, what does that mean, building the brand? Like, just elaborate. (laughs) Yeah, to
1: the finest details of the font you're going to use, in what places, to the colors, and to how you want to make people feel. For me, that was always the best way to describe branding is like when someone sees your brand, how do you want them to feel? And that involves all of those aspects of the tone of voice, the language your brand uses, like we use the word community versus customer. And it's so interesting. We literally have a glossary of words now that we try to use. And we we have a brand guide and deck that goes into all of the details of when we post on social media, what kind of post can this be? And if, if it's a product post, what does it have to do and say? If, if it's a using post, like so the details of building the brand are endless and that will never change. You can have your sort of your framework But you know, you're going to grow and expand on that, especially when you're in a CPG business like us and you're adding more SKUs, the stories are going to be slightly different. And I'll use the word story because building a brand requires stories. And so not only a founder story, a brand story, and then every product has a story. It's so much work. So that in itself, I always say at least finding the private white labeler part, I felt, okay, we could just use these products and that's fine. Let's focus on the brand building part first. And that took a couple of years to get where we felt happy. And so then the more I spent in the space, I was like asking questions because we get asked questions. Where does the mica come from? Where are you supplying your coconut oil? Are you part of the sustainable palm oil commitment? Like, and those are just scratching the surface. We get some crazy questions. I'm sure you do too. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And nobody could answer them for me. And I am like, how can you not tell me where these things are coming from? And then I also looked at the packaging and I knew how we were shipping out our orders everything felt like it was getting heavy in the sense because I had no control over raw ingredients or component packagery. And then I had to look deep and find out, okay, am I willing to take that part on now? Right. And what happened, I don't know if you ever heard, Sephora has an accelerator program for beauty Mm -hmm. brands, right? I went, did all the processes for that, but got rejected. They were like, no, you didn't make the program. Um, However, I stayed in contact with some of their C-suite people here in, in Canada and really asked more questions. I paid a lot of attention to what they said in that rejection email and meeting. And they said, we're just not differentiated enough, right? And when you use a white label or a private label, they're making that for every other brand. And if you can come make a brand, then the next person can come make a brand. It's not, you're not separating yourself from the crowd. And being an indigenous brand sorry, but that's not enough. And, you know, as much as I believe in my heart that it is, I listened and was really humble and realized they're not wrong. They're not wrong. Anyone can do what I'm doing. How are we going to truly be different? And I went back to my gut and focused on sustainability and trying to be more eco-friendly and a greener brand in the sense that we wanted to just have answers for our customers when they asked us questions when I left those meetings with Sephora, I knew I had to make some big changes. If we didn't want to ever just be just a lifestyle brand, because we could, you had just keep chugging along. But I'm a big thinker. And I'm like, if I'm going to do this, let's do this. Like, let's really do this. Let's try to figure out how to be a better beauty brand, right? Because we look at the space in the industry, there's tons of room for improvement. And you know, when I just walk through a Sephora Alta now and like look at the packaging. Like it's crazy, just the, all the packaging. So we started meeting with investors. That's what happened. And we had one that reached out to us early on. And I was really grateful because I hear so many friends in our communities that have to go seeking the funding part. And that is a full-time job in itself, right? Tell me about it. I'm right there right now. Yeah. That's what I'm doing right now. Yeah. And it's job. scary and it's hard work and it's pulling you away from building and all of those things. So I'm, I'm really empathetic to what you're going through right now, because that is a challenge. And gratefully, we found an investor early on and they said, OK, we believe in the sustainability story. We believe in what you're telling us. We want you to do it. Here's the deal. Take this money to start and see what you can do. And we've been working with them ever since. And they've been giving us the opportunity to keep evolving as a sustainable brand still hard how always still feel like do we have enough money to do this do we have right because you know Tell me about it. I think we're in a space where it's not as easy feels harder to grow in 2022 than it did in 2020 and even in 2021 so we could talk about this conversation for hours but it's just yeah. the the e-commerce space is so full we've got multi-billion dollar conglomerates here now spending billions of dollars in the space where we I said 2020 was like a gravy train right of like building and the e-commerce and all the things were working my back end was working my seo was pumping right all the backlinks it all it was all working and the more the space has become in terms of saturation as well as the cost for ads and all of those things have just risen dramatically because of the new people spending money in the space so not as easy as it once was to grow here But what we've focused on over the last couple of years is transforming our brand to be more sustainable. And that was changing out all the components for packaging, redefining all of the raw ingredients to meet those clean beauty lists, whether it's Credo, Sephora. I always use quotes, everyone. This is a convoluted conversation. You need to focus on the brand and your sort of lists of what you want and don't want in beauty because there's no regulatory or compliant body telling us what that really looks like. And there's great lists out there and brands trying to do it, but none of us are doing it perfectly because it's a whole new space and we're all figuring that out. But that's, what's really fascinating is we're a part of building something that hasn't existed before. And so that's what makes a lot of the brands in this space unique, but just ask Questions, And then we have the problem and struggle with like whether it's greenwashing or sustainability washing. People are taking advantage of the consumer that really is seeking better and being misguided. So just ask questions. And I feel like if you ask questions and the brands come back with a couple sentence answers, usually not great. If you're talking about science and sustainability, you need a couple paragraphs to answer those questions properly. And that's what I've just learned asking people questions, right? So make sure you ask and uh, you'll find out pretty quickly who's on the right path and check out people's websites. That's where all the information is. Right. Or it should be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: Can you talk to me about how, I mean, cause you know, the ad landscape, like you said, drastically changed how are you propelling your business forward i mean at this point you've built a large community right so you have fans you have repeat customers you have visibility you're in sephora canada but even still we're always trying to get to the top of that next mountain right we always think like well once i get into sephora i'll be great but now you're in sephora no now there's another mountain to climb now you have to stay in sephora right exactly so so what are you doing to continue to reach new people and to grow and are you still advertising is it still working for you
1: Yeah, so definitely not converting like we once did. We're at the like 3% conversion on our ads, which used to be around five, which is a big, big drop. When you put that in a dollar value, it's huge, um, which is really scary, but still converting slightly. So we're not going to stop. And what you know, what's so fascinating is we've learned that brand recognition takes time, right? And brand trust and all of those things. Really proud this year, we're above 50% on our return customer rate. Our goal is to be 75, which is um, amazing, huge. But we started out at 25 over the first few years, then we hit 35 and now we're at 52% return customer rate over the year over year, which is amazing. And our company goal is to be at 75 and you people will be, where did you get that number? Um, Well, you pay attention to what who's doing things correctly And a brand like Ilia Beauty has a 70% customer return rate. And so that to me is clearly what success looks like and so sometimes you have to look at other people you do have to compare yourself and measure if you want to be realistic i think sometimes as women business founders we get in this conversation where people talk about there's enough space for everybody and i'm in sephora there's not enough space for everybody
0: (laughs) you're like let me tell you i've been in the store there's not
1: (laughs) there physically is just not enough space for everyone Um, And so being really honest with ourselves about what that looks like and understanding comparison is healthy when you have to do it to scale. And so that is super important and especially comparing yourself with the brands that you admire and love what they have built. So we have new distribution channels. So Sephora Canada, which again, still, like you said, you get to one mountain. So getting into Sephora now people say, Oh, that's the easy part, right? Which we all know it's not easy, but then once you get there, it's about how you stay there. And now, understanding we're learning the whole new world of retail. I've never been in retail as an employee, um, I've only shopped as a customer. And so, figuring out how the retail wholesale relationship world looks like. And for us right now, it's really getting to know Sephora as an organization and getting to meet their team leaders, getting in stores where I'm traveling across the country at the moment to be in all the stores that have physical displays of our product to meet the teams and talk to them. And I'll tell you the honest truth. Sephora is a machine. It's a massive machine. And our brand has been in their stores since September, and many of their employees have never heard of our brand. Just saying. So think of now the work that the company has to do so we've create videos that go into Sephora hubs and they watch those videos and hopefully yeah hopefully that's only if they do because i went through some of them like who would sit and watch any of this this is horrible so that's why we have to get in the stores and meet people and talk to them and really engage and build that relationship with this partner cuz if Sephora is going to be a great partner. We have to do our part. And as a founder, I realized I'm like, oh my gosh, we've just done a crappy job at the first few months, but it really, it wasn't our fault. The pandemic, they weren't allowing brand founders in stores. So there's nothing we could have done differently. We were stuck in our office anyway, and they didn't even have their offices open until this past February or March, I think. And so that's when they just reopened the whole brands can get inside the stores. And so we're just We're hustling, it's like back to my old sales days. We're on the ground, boots on the ground, in front of the teams talking about the products and sharing the story.
0: Yes, I love that. And it's so true. And this is so important, Jen, I think for people to hear because, you know, I come from CPG. And I've worked as a consultant for a lot of emerging brands to really give them that inside peek of like, here's what it's really like when you get into Whole Foods. Here's what it's really like when you get into the stores. People have the misconception that you get into the store and the store is now going to just like make your brand. You've made it when you've gone to the store. I'm like, no, no, no. Now you have to go and show up at the store and actually merchandise your product. And people are like, but wait, I thought that the store did that. Doesn't the store do just like handle everything. I'm like, look at how many SKUs are on shelf. And then look at how many people work at the store. Mm -hmm. Like there's not one person for every brand, right? So like, yes, you have to show up, you have to fix your own shelf, you have to train people, you have to tell people that you exist. They don't know, they just work there.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And they have hundreds of brands like, you know, the last I was just in one of the locations in Vancouver and I just walk around and I'm just like, wow, like there's hundreds of brands here. How are they supposed to know about us? We have to be here. Yeah. And really working well with the store. Sephora calls their store directors and working with them. You know, I've met a few and talking about where the display is and moving it around the store and, and me understanding how their brains operate and work. And, you know, there's so many good people, even though they are just working there, it's really about finding the right people in the stores, too, because there's so many good people in there and they do want to support you. They really do. Right. Um, uh, So it's finding the right ones while you're there.
0: Yes. Talk to us about I mean, this is definitely a challenge, right, because now you feel like you're kind of trying to make up for lost time. You were in the pandemic. You couldn't visit the stores. Now it's like you can. So it's like, let's go everywhere, but in terms of other operational, personal, just talk to us about the kind of like nitty gritty challenges of where you are now compared to where you were, you know, let's say like two years ago.
1: I would, it's a people problem for us, for sure. Mm. I'm of the elk where everyone around me should be a hell of a lot smarter than me. But finding those people, it's not always easy, right? Uh, especially mm-hmm. at a startup's budget. <laughs> like our budgets are not as high as the big brands in our space. And so yes, really spending the time to find people that are passionate about the, the brand. I know people will never be and feel the way about Cheekbone that I do as the founder, but I'm really proud of the team that we have right now because they are really passionate about what we're doing and I can feel that but it's always going to be we're still always growing and people always becomes a challenge like one of our operations managers she wants to go and take more education and move across the country and as a, a leader of course I want the best for her I know I'm losing an amazing person And replacing her is going to be a challenge. And so those become a big part of the challenge, right? When you have great people and then you have to lose them or you hire somebody who's not great and you have to admit that because I've realized now, oh my goodness, I took too long to let go of certain people Mm. um, and I should have done it much quicker to save my level of stress as well as for them. Like, let's just talk adult to adult. Like this is not working. You know, trying to figure all that stuff out is really hard. The hardest part I just got to spend a week with our investors on a retreat. And so it's other CEOs. I don't spend enough time with other CEOs, right? Mm. Because we have these challenges and some of them are at scale greater than me. So I need to like spend time with people that are at that next level and more time with people growing businesses. In the early days, I would do a lot more networking and I just feel like the clock, there's not enough time, but I need to make time because I learned a ton from some fellow um, Indigenous CEOs this past week that have scaled businesses, hung out with Bobby, owns a company out of Calgary called Virtual Gurus. This chick is a badass. She's the first Indigenous woman in history to take a Series A and got $8.5 million from TELUS to build. Like, It's a tech business, so of course she's in those numbers that are like way up there, but that is epic. And so finding those kinds of people that you want to hang out with that are doing the same things that you want to do. And she's amazing. Like just wants to support everything we're working on too. Right. And,
0: this is all music to my ears. I love this so much. And honestly, when I launched my brand, because I was a beauty outsider, you know, I spent 15 years as a musician. So I have a lot of great artist friends that are all broke. I'm like, these people cannot help me build my million dollar empire. So one of the first things I did was like join a mastermind because exactly everything that you're saying, Jen, I was like, I need to hang out with other women that are way ahead of me, that are at my level, that are in the same financial bracket, that have the same challenges, right? Like, it's so important. And I tell this to founders all the time, like, you have to find a squad. You have to find a CEO squad. And so I love that you went on this retreat and you met these people. And I'm really... Like next time I talk to you, I want to hear how you want on a retreat with them. Like again, because it's so important to surround yourself with those people and hang out with them because you, you know, otherwise it's lonely. And then you're just like running your company. Like, you know, you're at the top, but you need it to be like 360, right? Like you need to be around these people, like get on a text thread with them, like meet like my success squad. We have like a text thread going, we meet on zoom once a week, and then we do quarterly retreats.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: I'm actually going to Chicago next week to go, you know, have our quarterly retreat where we're all going to like dig deep into our own businesses, personal challenges, you know, and help each other level up because you need that. Otherwise it's lonely. It's hard,
1: you know? And it's not fun doing it alone. And, and, And it's not that I don't think any entrepreneur wants to be alone. It's just you, you're kind of in the thing and you're like, don't even have time to put your head up and realize you need what you need. That's what, these kind of retreats do, it's like forces you to stop. And I, oh my goodness, it was epic because I'm in like the woods of British Columbia, Canada. And like my fear of the week was bears because it's a real fear there. (laughs) Oh my God. And I was like, had some creative flow come back. Holy cow. It's been a while because one, the pandemic, right? Like who does, what did that do to our creative flow? And then for me anyway, I just felt like we got busier and more of the busy work, not the creative work. And so taking that time was just awesome for that as well. We had some really great ideas that came out and so working on those now, but need that time for that to happen.
0: Absolutely. I I wish you more time like that. We all need that. It's so important to fill your well, to be creative. And on that note, I want to end with some rapid fire questions for you. Okay, let's do it. Okay. So number one, best piece of advice you've ever received.
1: The best piece of advice I've ever received is about the amount that you focus on the negative things. And of course, it's important to address things that are happening, but do not get stuck into it, like take care of it. Or if you can't, you can't. And sometimes you have to move on. So like less focus on the negative. If there's a lesson, take the lesson, go, but don't get stuck there. And it's great advice.
0: Yeah, I love that. It's so true. Number two, what does success look like to
1: you? Success to me is honestly all about happiness and waking up and feeling just happy with who I am, my family, my friends, the work, all of it. I just want to feel happy. And I know I'm a realist. It's not going to be all the time. But like just when those pockets of joy happen, it's all just so good and so worth it.
0: I love that. I guess it kind of expands on that. So what does your perfect day look
1: like? Mm, So starts off with heading into nature. I get out there, I pray, I meditate, and then some form of physical fitness, whether it's walking. I've started running now, but I've always hated running. So now I call it just walking at a different pace. (laughs) So I don't want to use the word running. Um, And eating really delicious, nourishing foods that come from the land perfect day for me is learning more about people and connecting too. And I don't, you know, those are all things you want to do more of. And then of course, my family, my kids, my husband and spending time with them. sounds awesome. What do you want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered for taking the risk of like, even if it doesn't work, at least I tried and I want a model for Indigenous kids to always be like, okay, this woman, she was like me. She was Ojibwe. She came from this reservation too, and she built something, right? And I think that's always been the most important thing for me is creating a model for the next generations of Indigenous youth.
0: Well, I mean, I think that you are already doing that. And then lastly, what is the thing you wish you had known before launching?
1: Oh my gosh, all of it. Like everything, <laughs> everything. Uh you know, it's going to be hard work. Like I was well aware of that. I don't know, just trying to in my head, I'm like, how do you avoid all those mistakes? And then I go back and and be like, you got to learn the mistakes though. And that's how you learn. Yeah. I feel like it's the mistakes are really what makes this powerful on the journey, but I feel Mm. like there's so many things like little details. I'm trying to think of one. What I, and just like, oh, if you tweaked this ad in this direction, it does better. <laughs> like I, like those little things, right? If you knew those sooner, you know, how many dollars would you have saved on certain ads or whatever? There's yeah. there's so many, I think, too many to list.
0: Yeah. No, I love, I love your take on this, that the mistakes are actually what build this journey. Like they are the bricks in the road, right? That's how we learn. And that's how we keep going because we've learned from something that didn't work, right? Yeah. Um, I love that. Well, Jen, thank you so much for your time. I feel like I could talk to you forever. You're full of so much wisdom. I just love your journey. I love your story. You're so inspiring. I love following you on social media. And I just wish you the best and more time in nature. And I wish you everything that you desire. I want you to have it.
1: Oh, thank you so much. That's so sweet. I love you. I love your brand. I love following all of your stuff as well. So I'm so grateful for the Credo Accelerator because of getting to meet people like you
0: absolutely. That was the best accelerator. Sorry to all the other accelerators, but that was the best one. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Jen. Visit nopaleta.co to pick up your favorite self-care items for yourself and your friends and family. Join our mailing list to be the first to hear about new products and exclusive promotions and follow us on IG at nopaleta.co. And if you are an entrepreneur looking for more real talk and resources, you can join my entrepreneurial newsletter from my personal website, sandraliliavelasquez.com, and be the first to know when I host workshops and masterclasses. Everything is linked below in the show notes. Stay resilient.